Welcome to AA Beyond Belief. This is episode 112. Today I'll be speaking with Wes B. from my home group, We Agnostics, about the book Staying Sober Without God by Jeffrey Munn. We'll talk about our overall impressions of the book and then delve in a little deeper into how Munn interprets the 12 steps. This episode will be posted to coincide with a book review published on AA Agnostica, so be sure to head over to aaagnostica.org to check out their review of the book. All right, I'm here with uh, Wes from my home group. He's been on the podcast here before um, when we were talking about another um, secular 12-step book. And today we're going to be discussing uh, a new book um, that's titled Staying Sober Without God, and it's written by Jeffrey Munn. Uh, Thank you, Wes, for uh, agreeing to do this and being here. Sure. Thanks for having me, John. Uh, I'm happy to... to, uh review another book with you. yeah <laughs> why don't you start by just giving giving us your um your overall impression of the book okay well my overall impression of the book i was really really pleased with the book um, um in fact when you when you before you even open the book when you look at the cover it says staying sober and then it says without god and it's very very prominent and i i like that i like the fact that it's very clear from the outset that this that there's no god uh in this and clearly, that's the the problem that many of us have with the sort of uh, antiquated uh, uh, language in the big book. So I guess we can we can go through it and discuss different portions of it. But I would say that this particular book, I think it has everything you need in it. If if you if you uh, if you want to approach sobriety secularly, um, uh, there there are, there are certain little uh, little critiques. Uh, I have of it, but overall, I was very pleased with the um, the material within. I was too. My overall impression of it was was favorable. I thought it was well written. I thought it was well reasoned. I thought that most of the steps were comported to my experience with working them in my time in AA. Um, there were a few things that he mentioned in there that were um, that I thought were kind of fresh. I liked. I liked, for example, we'll go into it when we go through the steps. But I liked. I liked his. Um, his examination of fear, um, and I also like some of the things that he wrote about at the second part of the book or the third part of the book when he talks about, you know, things that weren't mentioned in the steps. But yeah, right, the, right. the book is pretty much laid out in three parts, I guess. It's it um, first of all, it talks about you know, you know what what is addiction, what is recovery. Uh, then it goes into the steps, and then the 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 third part is what you know, things that aren't mentioned in the steps. So maybe we can just kind of talk about the parts. You know, first of all, he he has a discussion about what addiction and recovery is. And I thought it was kind of interesting. I mean, he just looks at addiction. Not He didn't, he didn't talk about it in medical terms like the other book did that we discussed, but mm-hmm. he talks about it simply as behaviors that we can't stop that are harmful to us. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. What do you think about that as a, as a way of looking at addiction? Uh, I think that's a perfectly reasonable way to uh, look at addiction. Um, um, he, I, he also mentioned uh, uh, our sort of character defects are mm-hmm. character assets pushed to the extreme, which I thought was sort of an interesting... I'd never really thought of that before, mm-hmm. uh, but character assets pushed too far 
yeah. that become character defects. But but certainly, uh, just looking at addiction as a, a series of behaviors that you can't stop. Sure, yeah, I'll, I'll take it. Yeah, uh, uh, that applies to everything from yeah. Uh, you know, overeating, uh, sex addiction. Yeah. So yeah. And all of those addictions are, can, can any of those addictions could use this book. Anyone who has those addictions. Absolutely. But yeah, that's a nice simple way of looking at it. Um, you know, and it, it doesn't, it's not really necessary to have to go into all the scientific things about the, um, dopamine and all that kind of stuff, which I think is interesting, but still, yeah, when you boil it right down to it, it's, it's a behavior that's harmful. And in my case, the behavior was drinking to excess and it was one a behavior I couldn't stop. Yeah, and for me, it was opiates and alcohol, and yeah. it was certainly a behavior uh, that I was unable to stop. Yeah, and he defines recovery too, which he he defines recovery basically as, which I can agree with, um, as adapting a new lifestyle, a healthy lifestyle, and trying to maintain that throughout life. Right. Absolutely. Um, he mentions here. Uh, I'll quote, there's no doubt that faith and spirituality can play a tremendous role in in the recovery of many people, but I've come to believe that it is not only unnecessary, but potentially harmful when imposed on recovering addicts for whom a faith-based approach is not a good fit, which is sort of a nice, uh, as part of sort of the introduction to this book. Um, And he goes on to say, uh, upon telling their fellows that their attempts to connect with a God hasn't worked, they are led to believe that they are doing something wrong or that they're overanalyzing are, quote, too smart for their own good. Mm-hmm. And that's the kind of stuff. I, I went through a, re- a recovery program that was very uh, traditional, and I heard that all the time. Like, oh, you so 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 you, you think you're God. Uh, right, you're, you're, right. You know, you, your higher power is yourself. You're... Um, um, you're uh, uh, what what's it called? Uh, will will run riot. Mm-hmm. Um, self self will uh, run riot. And the bottom line was no. I want to recover, but I want to recover without the bullshit. Um, I want to recover without God. I'm beyond frustrated that so many people still stick to the religious language from from 1939, mm-hmm. because honestly, in my opinion, I just think it's a total accident of history that it turned out that way. You know, because you know, if it hadn't been for the damn Oxford Group, I mean, mm-hmm. they, all they did, they they just discovered that um, one alcoholic talking to another, sharing experience um, of what they went through worked for them, Mm -hmm. you know, and it just was a total accident that they did this through the Oxford group that spoke with religious language. Right. So therefore we have this religious language and, you know, and the the antiquated uh, religious language and the overtly misogynistic language, it all stuck. And now, and now, and now we have to, we have to write all these separate damn books to, 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 to bridge the gap for those of us who, uh, are criti- quite frankly critical thinkers, atheists, yeah. agnostics, uh, so on. Um, but it's really the fault of the people that came after them, because those people who wrote right. the book, they said, hey, believe us, we don't know everything, more will be revealed later, this is just what we're telling you now in 1939. Right. I don't think that they expected 80 years later that people are going to be trying to replicate their words and follow their... their right. <laughs> no, it's, it's, it's like, it's like a Bible literalists. Right. It's, it's like, you know, yeah, they, they didn't think that people would take that football and run with it and, and stick to this very strict language yeah. that, uh, that has become um, just this, this, this 
AA dogma that, mm-hmm. that pollutes so many traditional meetings. Yeah. Um, I was told in recovery uh, over and over, yeah, your best thinking got you here. Mm-hmm. You know, your best fucking thinking yeah. got you. They beep that into me. And he, in his book, he says, I love this. Our best thinking doesn't destroy our lives. Our worst thinking does. Yeah. And it's like, yeah. It, no, it, it, you know, this, this, I, I was approached with such, such hostility. Your best thinking got you here. It's like, no, no, my, my worst. Thinking. That's true. Yeah, I know. I never did really did understand that because, you know, actually, yeah, it was my best thinking. The best thing I ever did was decide to stop getting help. Right. So it was truly my best thinking. I, you know, right. And my, <laughs> it was my worst thinking that <laughs> my worst thinking <laughs> was is keeping what me away, got yeah. me into trouble. Right. My worst right. thinking is what got me into the hospital, got you know, resulted in pancreatitis and all sorts of things. Yeah. That, that was my, my worst thinking. Um, he also mentions here, this is one of my favorite quotes in the entire book, and it, it sort of, it appeals to me as an atheist because this is sort of how I look at the world, and this is very similar to something that Carl Sagan once said. He says, Some, like myself, can derive a sense of awe, wonder, and meaning just from contemplating the cosmos and our existence within it, as well as the process of evolution that made us what we are today. And I, that is, uh, to me, that's sort of like a, uh, that's a, that's a spiritual, uh, statement Mm -hmm. and, and, uh, for those who make this wild assumption that atheists are, are not, are not spiritual and are devil worshipers and all this, it's, it's, uh, it's quite to the contrary. Most of the atheists I know are, um, uh, uh, intimately connected with, um, nature and awe and spirituality of sort of their own form. I get more out of, to be honest with you, I get more out of the 12 steps as an atheist than I did when I was trying to do this before I realized I was an atheist. Mm -hmm. When Mm -hmm. I was trying to conform myself to this idea that there was some God out there that was going to solve all my problems for me or direct me or guide me or whatever. Um, And when I abandoned that and went with this concept that um, there's a natural explanation for everything mm-hmm. that I'm in. I have um, it's my it's what I do that matters, mm-hmm. not what I believe, mm-hmm. and it's my connection with other people that empowers me, not some supernatural force. I mean, it just makes more sense to me, and it just absolutely. It's just it works better for me. And honestly, when we start talking about the steps as we go through this. There's two steps that I think that we atheists do better than anyone else, mm-hmm. and that the two most religious steps in, that are in the program, step six and seven. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Because if you if you really believe them literally, you don't really have to do anything. Exactly. The work is, <laughs> the, work is the work is done yeah. for you. Yeah. 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 But hey. we're forced to have to do something. Right. Right. Because if you yeah if you pr- approach uh, hey uh, God take away my character defects, mm-hmm. no, it doesn't. It doesn't magically happen like that. It, it's a it's a it's a process. It takes work. It takes uh, critical thinking. It takes yeah. being rational, and 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 uh, you you cannot pray away your mm-hmm. defects. No, that's for sure. So we're forced to think about them and actually do something about them. Right. So that's anyway. and that's interesting to me that that you went through that transformation. Yeah. Right, so you you, you approach the the twelve steps sort, you know, sort of as a believer, and then and then approach the twelve steps as an atheist because I yeah. I came to it already an as an atheist. Yeah, so that's really fascinating to me. Yeah, uh, and I, I I haven't heard you actually say that before. I think mm-hmm. that's really interesting that you that you have approached it both ways. Yeah, so you know. And it's weird too, Wes, because you know my background. I did not have a religious background, but AA became my religion. Mm. So I was I was going to meetings, and I was doing my best to believe. 
Right. And I guess I was going through the motions. I did the whole fake it till you make it thing. I would actually sure, sure. get on my knees and pray. Yeah. And yeah. I would talk about God and I would try to have this connection. But I always kind of um, deep down knew that I, I guess I, I I guess what my problem with it all along was that I always I always felt that there was something wrong with me because I couldn't really believe like other people. Did it seem somewhat fraudulent? Yeah, I could never actually make a connection with God like other people seemed to. Right, and, and, and I didn't and get it. It felt, it felt <laughs> phony. Yeah, uh, I did. You I felt, felt like you were, you felt like you were going through the motions and pay, yeah. paying lip service. Yeah, to the community, and that's what you knew. You kind of probably knew what they wanted to hear and see. Exactly, and in a way, I'm kind of. It's just I am a human being. That's what human beings do. Right, but there's a part of me that. Feels like I wish I could have been more independent, more more independent in my thinking, mm-hmm. and less of a conformist. Right. But I totally conformed. Well, and traditional AA is all about conformity. It is. It's yeah. rewarded. Right. It's it's highly rewarded, and it, uh, uh, to sh- to show up and to challenge the twelve steps or the traditions, uh, or even mention that you are an atheist, um, it's frowned upon. Uh, you will uh, receive crosstalk. I've I've had I've had. Uh, at the end of one of my meetings, a fella came in late, and he so he didn't catch the preamble, which which uh, told you know declared that our, this meeting was agnostic mm-hmm. atheist. So oh yeah, he rambled on for about twelve minutes about all sorts of religious stuff, which we we allowed. And then at the end of the meeting, he stood up, put out his arms, and said, "We're not going to say the Lord's prayer." <laughs> and I said, "No, this this is a secular meeting." And he got furious. Yeah. And he and he said, "Shame on you! Shame yeah. on you!" And I I chased him out of there with extreme vulgarity mm. because I couldn't tolerate that in uh, in our group. Um, yeah. But that's the kind of actual hostility that 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 sometimes will will rear its ugly head in traditional meetings. And yeah. so, so I think that there is uh, an undercurrent within traditional AA of of people who. Who are either agnostics or atheists, but are scared to share that, or, yeah. or uh, you know, I, I, I think, I think that, uh, like you said, we're human. We, we're na- we naturally conform to mm-hmm. the to the herd, the tribe, or whatever. That whatever. And uh, but I think that you will find there are probably a lot of people in AA going through the motions, and the fact that we have now uh, more secular groups um and since the world itself is is i wouldn't say on an exponential rise but certainly on a rise of free thinkers uh i think we're going to see more people showing up at our meetings oh yeah we are Mm -hmm. but you're right people are afraid i was afraid Mm -hmm. i was afraid to let people know about the books i was reading really uh, yeah i was afraid um i read um oh i read um dawkins and um, oh yeah how dare kitchens and um Oh, and I was just con- I, and and they convinced Sam me. Harris. Yeah. Sam Harris, mm-hmm. and they yeah, convinced I read all me. All the same stuff. They right. totally convinced me. Yeah, you read the read the God delusion. Yeah, I read Take that. Take the time. Read the God delusion, and uh, uh, you know, if you want a little bit more florid and difficult reading, read uh, uh, Christopher Hitchens' mm-hmm. work. Um, but I would go to these meetings. I'd tap dance around them. I'd tap dance around the the steps and everything and all the religious language, trying to somehow somehow um, be honest while holding back mm-hmm. and I couldn't do it anymore. Yeah, and then when I started speaking my truth, I got some of that pushback that you were talking about. Got a little pushback. Yeah. But you were, you were on a high wire. Yeah. You were doing your little balancing act, mm-hmm. trying to fit in with the group while 
while having it make sense in your head. Yeah. Just like, you know, I, um, although I've been an atheist pretty much as long as I can remember, I did go to Presbyterian church when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. So somewhere at <laughs> a village Presbyterian church, somewhere my name is on a list there some, somewhere. But, um, although that was a very uh, liberal church, yeah. there wasn't a whole lot of dogma there, but still, I just remember all sorts of stories of from the Bible from when I was a child, and it's and and it, to me it was all just patently nonsense, nonsensical. Uh, and when I whenever I'm sort of challenged on atheism, first of all, I say it's not; it's certainly not a religion. It's sort of the opposite. It's just um, common sense. Well, let's go ahead and talk about his steps, um, if you don't mind. You know, one thing that he recommends a lot when it comes to working the steps which i think is which i which would have worked for me because i i'm i like to write he recommends writing a lot mm-hmm. and he goes through steps 1 through 3 which which to me the way that he defines them or describes them uh, pretty much comport with my experience which is basically recognizing a problem um, and but the way he words the second one is coming to um, the understanding that you need a healthy lifestyle, mm-hmm. which is the kind of a different way of wording it, right. and then making a commitment to it. Right. So the way I saw it was pretty much the same. I admit I have a problem. I came to believe that there was help, and I made a decision to go through with it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and those are those are practical. That yeah. And going back real fast, I remembered what I forgot. Very simple. I, I simply say to people, uh, I, I my atheism. It, I believe in God in the exact same way I believe in Santa Claus. Yeah. That that's it. Yeah. Bottom line. But going back to what what you're saying, yep, yeah, uh yeah, I recognized I had a problem mm-hmm. and I made a decision to deal with it. Uh in a lot of these uh recovery books, so you and I have discussed a couple mm-hmm. of these, but you you and I know there are a lot of them out there. Mm-hmm. And Whenever the the steps are rephrased, it always seems to be some sort of um, um, uh, semantic yeah. uh, balancing act or mm-hmm. um, some semantic gymnastics just to kind of tweak it a little. Right. Uh, and I have found, as we discussed earlier in this book, just a lot of the a lot of his practical versions of the steps. Mm-hmm were of steps that were already practical yeah. and without God. Yeah. So kind of kind of yeah. unnecessary. Some of the steps, um, the steps that include God certainly need a practical revision. Yeah. But we'll get, we'll get to that. Sorry. Go on. That's fine. You know, but when he talks about the first three steps, in particular, he talks about the first step, and he actually recommends, like, how do you work that step? And so he says, you know, write it out, you know, write, write out your experiences, talk to a friend about your experiences, you know, and then when you finally get to the place where you're convinced that you um, have this problem, then you're, then you're there, then you're totally convinced. And I, I, and I can see some value in that, but I, I, I have a different kind of a nuanced view of these things. I think that the steps, especially as written, are a lot. A lot of them are experiential, and they're they're nothing more than a description of an experience. And I mm-hmm. think that those first three steps are just that. Mm-hmm. It's just that as they were describing an experience they had, right. it was the way they were describing um, hitting bottom and asking for help. 
right. basically. Right. And they worded it because their experience was a religious one. They were put in a religious language. Right. But so for me, I, I think that these steps, those three steps happen to you. They aren't really necessarily things that you do. However, I do find value still in reading books like this where you can maybe understand that experience better, mm-hmm. you know, and, right, um, right. And, what, and, how, and how it shaped you. Right, right. And he goes into, I love how he goes into detail about uh, each step and working each step. Uh, but he, his, his practical version of the first step was admitted we were caught in a self-destructive cycle and currently lacked the tools to stop it. Yeah. Which is perfectly, yeah. perfectly reasonable. Um, the, but the traditional version, of course, admitted we were powerless over alcohol, but our lives had become unmanageable. That also works. Yeah. I, I know. I don't ever have problems with the first, with the first one. No, in the fact, original. I, and, and in fact, it's kind of the most important step. I mean, it gets you yeah. in the door, it gets you in the door. And once, I mean, once you truly admit to yourself you have a problem, then then you have yeah. a chance of you you actually have a shot at recovery. Yeah. Now I've met people who have pro- who have problems with the word powerless. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. That's it, yeah. yeah. I can see that. I can see that. And some of them think too that they because they that you can read ahead and they say and they say oh I'm giving up my power to God, mm-hmm. but I I just kind of look at it as it's all it's you you are empowered by by admitting that you're powerless over alcohol i'm powerless over my drinking right exactly exactly powerless over alcohol alcohol not every i'm not i'm not powerless over doing something about it right i'm powerless over when i drink right you know what happens exactly exactly but anyway but But, people people are free to use whatever language they want but uh, i like how the book is filled with sort of actionable steps i mean true it's it's action it's a different it's a different way of 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 living it's it's changing your habits changing your um, um, the way you interact with others, these yeah. simple, these simple things, honesty and compassion. Yeah. He goes on about those and, and, and just mental health in general. You know, he even mentions in the book, like this is, this is not a substitute. There are no 12 step right. programs that are substitute for actual professional mental health and, and receiving professional mental health, like through a therapist or, or, uh, or, 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 or in conjunction, a therapist and a psychiatrist, is um, almost necessary for, for, for most people if they've really hit rock bottom to have that in addition to the 12 steps. The 12 steps are a great thing to read when you're at home and to work, mm-hmm. on, work on your life, but, but a lot of us uh, uh, need more than yeah. just a book. Yeah, and he, he kind of writes about it. He says, he wrote, in his, he wrote in the book that it's inherently human, I guess, to want to have a blueprint or some course of action to take, a plan to follow. Mm-hmm. And I know for sure that a lot of newcomers, they do want that. Um, and, uh, you know, when we were first starting our group, I, um, I uh, was a little bit turned off by some of the structure from traditional AA, but I saw some of the newcomers coming in, and some of them were a little bit frustrated that nobody was there to tell them what to do. Right. They didn't really have a thing to do. Right. So a book like this is helpful because you can get it out, you can read it, and mm-hmm. you can. There's certain activities you can undertake. There are Absolutely. things you can do that are concrete. Yeah, that are concrete. Absolutely. Yeah. That's the that's the point. And this so. This is a book that, by the way, after this podcast, I'm handing to a sponsee. Oh, good for you! Because because the book is so helpful. I mean, yeah. The, the, so so what I say to any sponsee is, okay, here's the book. Underline or highlight everything that that you know uh, applies to you, or everything that that resonates with you. 
and there's a good chance that your your highlighter is going to run out of ink because yeah. there's there should be an awful lot as an addict that you recognize in here. But again, um, the, the 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 action steps, like you said, there 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 is sort of a blueprint here. Here mm-hmm. here's some here's some actual things you can do to move forward. If we have a step meeting at at We Agnostics, mm-hmm. I wouldn't mind using that book and also Bill Wolf's book. The, the two, right. I think the two books are are really good. I think multiple books are great, but I would I would be happy to use that book at a step meeting because it's got a lot of it's got a lot of weight to it. It's got you know um, it, it's something that people can read and discuss and think about mm-hmm. and do. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's really good stuff in there. Absolutely, it's, it's this particular book is a little bit more cl- clinical than Bill Wolf's. Yeah. Uh, book which was uh uh, 12 secular steps yeah um bill's book is like really good in the fact that it's simple it's like something like if you just get out of treatment yes that would be the book absolutely and that's something else i wanted to mention is a a book like this that is that is just absolutely well first of all it's very well very well written Mm -hmm. and full of information first of all people coming right out of treatment reading is not right. easy for them no. often and then you also a certain percentage of those coming out of treatment weren't readers in the first place True. That, so so even if you were a reader you're sort of impaired right and if you weren't a reader to begin with it's like they're looking at ink on paper right but they're not getting the message right so discussing these in groups is is really wise because yeah. because because they can hear right they can hear the message right but they might not. They might yeah, have a hard that's time. True. They might have a hard time, and that's so. We have all these wonderful recovery books out there, but how many people who need them are actually reading them? Right. You know? True. So that's one of my that's concerns. True. And and that's and there's. I been, wasn't much of a reader when I was first getting sober. Mm-hmm. I read the big book, and I, I was actually thinking about this too. The big book. When I very first saw it, the first time I ever saw it, I was disappointed. I said, "What the fuck is this?" <laughs> But after a while, I began to almost worship it like everybody else did. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I still, I still have, you know, look, I'm a stone cold atheist, but I, yeah. I have an intimate connection to my big book. Yeah. It's full of notes. It's, yeah. uh, it's highlighted all to hell yeah. and dog-eared. Yeah. It's, it's, I've, I have an intimate relationship with my big, and I got one of the really big ones, like mm-hmm. the ridiculously large ones, mm-hmm. so that I had room for, to write notes. And I like history too, so it's kind of it's kind of anyway mm-hmm. for me it's kind of interesting to kind of transport yourself back to that time, sure, sure. that language. I mean, it's just like if you watch an old Turner Classic movie, oh, it's yeah. that language from the Big Book is in those movies. No, it's like this dame needs to get sober. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly. It's 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 it's, uh, so, it's, yeah. it's super antiquated. <laughs> yeah, and uh, uh, rocketed into the fourth dimension. Yeah, you know, there's some there's some interesting language in the Big Book. And in fact, if we did do a twelfth, if we did do a step meeting at We Agnostics, I might actually do the, bring the Big Book in. Oh yeah, I think it's a. I think that I think it's good to know it just from at least a historical perspective, mm-hmm. so that they so that people understand. The, there's a lot of people from our book that never read the big book in our group. Yeah, and, and, and I am always bringing that up. Cause yeah. Look guys, uh, well, it's, I'm, an athe- I'm an atheist, but there's so much value. Yeah, there is. In the there book. is. If you, if you highlight everything that, that you relate to, I mean, it is just, and if you need to scratch out the word God or cut it yeah. out with scissors, whatever you need to do, pick up a damn big yeah. book. Yeah. And then if you're going to do the steps from a secular perspective, it'd be good to know, what the other one, what the uh, the other way was, anyway, just yeah. just to see. Well, to sort of have the experience, you yeah, yeah, to see the yeah the two to together, see it, to see it both ways, yeah, 
Yeah, and 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 uh, I, yeah, and a lot of that language, like you said, was a holdover from the Oxford group or whatever. Uh, um, but that, um, and and of course the because of the semi, well, I don't know if I can say semi, probably overt misogynistic right. language in the big book. Right. There, I know of several women in the group who will not get near I know, the big they book. They don't like it, which is which is totally fair. Yeah, but but again, cut those pages out. There's still a lot of content and one of my favorite sayings is you know take what you need leave the rest right and you can learn something from almost any fucking book you that's pick true up. that's and, true and, and i mean I'm a, I'm a big reader i read a yeah. lot and i read uh, widely and it, you can learn you can learn you can actually learn uh healthy ways to conduct your life mm-hmm. soberly from reading fiction yeah, reading, yeah, I don't read enough fiction. There, there are certain things you can just sort of pick up. Yep. Um, now, of course, if you want the the speedway to the the highway to sobriety, a book like this, of course, is better. Yeah. Because um, this book is absolutely full of useful information, and as you were saying, the the, the importance of um, writing, mm-hmm. um, which I do a lot of too. Write. There's something something about the tangible, the ink on the paper, yeah. and it's forcing your mind to to think about what you're writing. So writing some of these lists, writing in preparation for the steps like this book recommends is really wise. Mm-hmm. Um, I have f- sort of a funny story. In high school, I used to make little cheat sheets so I could cheat on tests. I, I would write really, really small on a piece of paper, uh, you know, all, these, <laughs> all the that. information. And then I read that, but then when I got to the test... I knew I knew the answers. Yeah, because oh, you studied I, because you put, I, yeah, you, yeah, right yeah. because I wrote it all down, right. and so I had actually put it in my brain without realizing it. So, <laughs> so I didn't even have to reference my right. cheat sheet because I had learned it all right. because I wrote it down by preparing to cheat. You're actually studying <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so there's there's val- there is value in writing something down because it's, it's forcing you to to th- sort of think about it. Um, can we talk about four and five for a little bit? His sure. steps four and five. Okay, so his step four is very, very, very similar to the original step four, where he basically you make you make list, mm-hmm. and what he suggests you do is you make a list of all the. First of all, he talks about what a resentment is, and this is important for people who don't know what a resentment is or the word resentment. Mm-hmm. But he breaks it down, and this is exactly how I was taught to understand it. A resentment means to refeel; it's to relive some past event and to feel the emotions as if it's currently happening. Right. And it's not necessarily a very healthy way to live because it keeps you living in the past, and these resentments will take on a life of their own. So it kind of right. takes you out of reality. So anyway, he says, list all the people in your life that you resent, mm-hmm. and then he says list what happened the thing the thing that the that occurred i believe is what the next part and then the impact and the impact what it what it happened to you right right and then my part and then my part right yeah and then he and and that's exactly like it is in the big book and he says says when it look you're you're looking only at your part even though the other person might have played a part you're just looking at your part totally just like the big book is Mm -hmm. okay and I don't know. What do you think about all, about that process? Well, I think it's great because again, you're writing the stuff down, which is forcing you to think about it. It's forcing you to look at these things, and it's also forcing you to take some fucking responsibility. True. I mean, that's what it's really all about. And he it stresses is. that in this book that it's 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 very easy to play the blame game and say, mm-hmm. "I drank because of work. I drank because of my wife. I drank because of this, this, that." You can blame everything. It's the, mm-hmm. it's the world's fault, mm-hmm. right? 
But if you want to get sober, you have to transition into this. You have to start taking responsibility for your role in it. So yeah. So when you write these things out, um, ultimately, the, you know, the last column, my part in it, that's the that's the goal. That's, it is that's what we're trying to get to. And and once you acknowledge your part in these resentments, mm-hmm. uh, it can really help to sort of reshape the way you uh, feel about them, um, and can help help get you prepared to. Um, well, make amends if you need to, yeah. or, or whatever. But if you if you understand truly understand your part in it, mm-hmm. uh, that that's the goal. Yep. right there. Yeah, and and the you know the big book refers to resentments as the number one offender, and I think that that's one of the most brilliant lines mm-hmm. in the big book because the resentments will take you down mm-hmm. faster than. You know the, res- mm-hmm. the resentments are, are what cause you to take the poison so the other person dies. Mm-hmm. Whatever you know, resentments are insidious. They're deep and, and can be super harmful. So um, sunlight is the best di- disinfectant, right? So yep. let's get these things out. Let's yep. write them down. Let's yep. analyze them and let's see what our part. And I like and what he wrote in there about being objective. And he talked about objectivity is kind of like um, what a scientist does. When you're doing an experiment, you're just being objective. You're just looking at the facts. And mm-hmm. that's what this is. Then when, if you ever get to the point that when you're doing it, where you start feeling shame, then he says, take a break, walk away. Because that's not what it's about. You need mm-hmm. to take a look at it just from a factual perspective right. of what actually happened. You're looking for the truth. Right. You're not looking for, you know, you don't want to wallow in bad feelings when you're doing it, basically. Right. And this, this goes back to logic and critical thinking. Mm-hmm. Looking at yeah. looking at the facts, being uh, uh, and like you said, uh, looking at the truth, the truth of the situation, and the truth of the situation often involves something you did. Yeah, uh, yeah. You, you 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 almost always had play, you played some role. Yeah. in the resentment. Then he talks about listen your fears, and there was something he wrote in there that I really really liked, and I think I'm probably going to forget about it. Oh yeah, okay. I liked the way that he looked at fears. Now, when I originally did this did this inventory back many years ago, um, I, with, when it came to my fears, I just put them down on paper like it says to do in the big book. And I asked myself why I had them. In the big book, it says because self-sufficiency uh, failed you. Okay. I didn't quite get a lot out of that. But the way he looks at it, he says, you're looking at basically irrational. Okay. You have these core beliefs, he says. Mm-hmm. You have these core beliefs that aren't necessarily true, that they're they're a bit dysfunctional. And these these are fears. Your fears are based on these core beliefs that aren't necessarily true. And the way that you overcome these fears or you deal with these fears is you replace them with reality-based core beliefs. Mm-hmm. So you could have a core belief that um, the world is that that life is dangerous. The world is dangerous. I think is one of he says. That's a core belief. Right. But you can replace that with a reality based belief that there are risks that you can mitigate. Right. Yeah. So I thought I thought that was just a nice way of looking at it. That you've got these core your your fears are nothing more than than misplaced core beliefs. Yeah. If I, I understood it right. No. You you no you nailed it. And then another distorted core belief he has is I am unlovable. And his alternate uh, realistic belief is, I have lovable traits that I can learn to nurture, uh, and so on. I am incompetent. Um, Well, uh, I am capable of learning just like everyone else. There are several things I'm knowledgeable knowledgeable about. 
so yeah, the 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 alt the alternate realistic um, beliefs that you can sort of focus on can can uh, steer you away from your distorted core mm-hmm. belief. I really like that too. There's another one, uh, distorted core belief. Nothing works out for me. Alternate rea- realistic belief is some things work out for me and some don't. I can yeah. choose to focus more on the things that do work. Yeah. Yeah, I, I like that, and and it's it's pretty similar to the um, to where I finally got as an atheist when I looked at my fears. The way that I the way that I deal with fear is through understanding. Mm-hmm. So it's pretty much the same thing. I know that my fears are pretty much irrational, mm-hmm. but if I really understand the truth, you know, like if you're afraid to fly, understand how airplanes work. Right. Right. Um. Yeah, um, and that's how they treat fear of flying. By the way, they teach people how airplanes work. Mm-hmm. They take them on on flights, and whenever there's a bump or something, they explain mm-hmm. what it is. Turbulence, right? Mm-hmm. I sat next to a woman on a plane who was absolutely horrified. Horrified, <laughs> and I, I we were landing, and I explained to her that even when the wheels touch down, the, the wings are still carrying the, the, the yeah. plane, and it's it's all super safe, and it's it's unbelievably uh-huh. uh, reliable and and it's so the fear comes from not understanding. It's exactly, from not knowing. Exactly. And I've heard you talk about this in meetings before <laughs> yeah. about just, yeah, seek the, the truth about the situation. And that will, and, and I, I'm really bad about it because I have a lot of unrealistic, just ridiculous fears. And I should follow your advice and, and really look at the truth of the situation. Mm-hmm. Like I have, I have insane fucking ridiculous fears. Like going to my, like driving down to my art studio. Mm-hmm. Why? Why should I be scared of that? I am. Of course, I've been in two. Two. Two people have run red lights and hit me oh, in the yeah. last year and a half. But so that's maybe part of the fear of driving. But something about just even going to to work. You know. Uh, it, so I am very familiar with irrational fears and and that's something i personally need to work on but i love your approach and i've heard you say it before where you break it down you learn the truth about the the what's really happening in real life and and um, sort of seeking understanding of that um, well, the fear of driving sometimes in Kansas City is pretty rational because I, I actually yeah. lived yeah. in northe- the northeast part of town, northeast mm-hmm. Kansas City. People do not stop at red lights there. They just don't. Yeah, yeah. So whenever I would approach a stop sign or a green light, I would always stop and see if there's anyone else coming before I went through. You just don't trust it. Yeah, I, I'm not, I'm not, <laughs> I, can, I, can see my, I can see my Nissan Xterra out your window, and it's my third one in a year and a half because of people running yeah. red lights. Yeah, it's crazy. It's unbelievable. But, um, but so, so that's, that is irrational fear. I mean, yeah. that, that is, so fear of driving, there's, some, there's always risk in driving. There is risk. You can mitigate it. But the, the fear of being at my studio, yeah. like the fear that, oh, maybe what I'm going to produce isn't as good as it should be, or mm-hmm. am I good enough uh, to do what I'm setting out to do? There are all sorts of fears yeah. on all different levels. That, uh, Being an artist is difficult, I would imagine, because it's it's really like, well, you know, an artist, an actor is an artist, and you're up on stage, mm-hmm. and you might bomb, 
Yeah, or you're a comedian as an artist. You might just right. you have the same thing as when you produce a work of art. Uh, yeah, visual art. <laughs> it's, well, it's the same thing. It's, yeah, because you're producing it, it for other people, I guess, in a way, aren't well, you? Yeah, basically. I mean, it, it's it's to be seen, sure, yeah. and and it gets and it gets judged. Yeah, uh, it, it gets it gets judged, and you know, sometimes it's favorable, sometimes it's not. Yeah, I could see fear attached to that. Yeah, the, yeah, um, the, and and it's it's. I mean, I, I'm. 37 and i've literally been an artist my entire life i i tend to think i, I know what i'm doing and i have a ton of education in mm-hmm. the field and I've, I've even taught at the college level everything from art history to color theory to drawing painting so on and and there's still a rational fear mm-hmm. uh, even when my work is lauded even when I, wow. show up, I show up in fucking magazines and stuff and i'm still terrified that i'm not good right. enough I can see that. That's that's. I tell, quick, maybe that's why a lot of artists drink. Quick plug for <laughs> westbenson.com. Yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. I, I I had a bottle of vodka uh, on my on my drafting table always in the studio. There's always a bottle of vodka in there. Yeah, um, because I could work abs just without fear. Yeah, I could I could, I could paint uh, fearlessly as long as I had my opiates and my. And my vodka. Let me ask you this, veering off from this every day, but were you afraid when you got sober that you wouldn't be able to produce art? Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. I, I hear that a lot. I was. Um, and then I learned it was actually quite the opposite. My, uh, my work has improved um, mm-hmm. drastically um, since I've gotten sober. And that's, that is a, uh, a belief that many artists have, is, yeah. that, is that their work is better when they're intoxicated. And no, you're, you're, you, you believe your work is better when you're mm-hmm. intoxicated. Mm-hmm. That's the, it's, you, you feel better about it. Mm-hmm. But it doesn't mean the product is actually as good. Yeah, um, I've always been interested about the when I talk to people in recovery who are artists, mm-hmm. um, whether it be any kind of art, whether they're writing or anything. I've always been interested in that in that whole process. And when all of your faculties are restored, you you approach things more logically, more mm-hmm. thoughtfully, more carefully, um, more creatively. Yeah. more cre- uh, creatively. I mean, it it, it it's it. It was really lucky for me. I mean, I was almost I was almost dead. I mean, I yeah. I, I was a bad drinker and user, pretty bad. And um, so this is sort of like my second shot, or actually, my I guess it's my first. I'm I'm like starting now to be mm-hmm. an artist because because when I was drinking and using, I was yeah hiding at home and doing yeah. all sorts of weird things and 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 you know like a, essentially got kicked out of a gallery because every time i showed up i was just like wasted and they, yeah. they didn't they didn't want to they're like no we don't want to represent this loser yeah. you know uh anyhow enough enough about mm-hmm. me but 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 uh in, in there's certainly a lot of drinking and using in the creative yeah, arts I would and, imagine. and a lot of it's about fear yeah you know you see you see like a comedian like ron white on stage with a glass yeah. of whiskey he drinks on stage and and yeah, that's a. Yeah. I'm sure. I'm sure. I've, I, there's no question in my mind that he does that to combat fear, sure, and to and to uh, bolster bolster his uh, confidence. Sure. sure. Well, let's look at his steps six and seven, which we were talking about. I don't know if we were talking about this when we were recording or not, but I was. I think I told you that atheists do this better than others because we actually do work in it. Um, there isn't any god that does it, but he what he talks about here. It's pretty much the conclusion that I had come to is that I don't really use the word character defects. I think of them as personality traits or character traits. He does the same thing. Mm-hmm. And the way he described it, if I remember right, is that these we, we develop these traits as a way of dealing with life. 
Um, and it was a dysfunctional way. It was a dis- it, it, it turned out that we, we relied on them to get through life, but it was it turned out to be dysfunctional. And so we had to learn, we had to find positive or, or character traits that work. Right. He said, we are not defective. We have developed thought and behavior patterns that once served a purpose, but yeah. have become dysfunctional. Most of these so-called character defects are actually character assets that have been taken to an extreme in response to life events. And doesn't he say something about... It's not about removing them, but it's replacing them with um, replacing them with positive traits. Yeah, exactly. And yeah. and and, and um, focusing on the positive traits. Yeah. And and implementing the positive traits in simple daily um, ste- steps, like like holding the fucking door for someone. Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah. I mean, just little tiny things. If if you try and p- uh, pick up litter, pick up mm-hmm. trash, you do these sorts of things. You show up to work on time, whether or not anyone mm-hmm. knows. You know, if you're the only person in the building, you still show up on time. Just li- these little daily make you know make sure you do so many sort of helpful, positive things a day mm-hmm. that any decent person would do. Yeah, I mean, at the end of yeah. the day, what we're trying to do is become right. better people. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I, I like I like the fact that he he makes it clear that these are these are very these are these are some of these steps are these are really easy things to do just go out and be a decent person yeah he when he does these steps too on on six and seven again he starts he talks about writing again i think in step seven because he says you know put post-it notes out up or whatever whatever positive character traits you want to practice and everything like that that's probably good that's probably good for someone i mean i've heard sponsors say things like that you know put something on the mirror in the morning so it's like the first thing you see and all that kind of stuff yeah my mirror at home has a little thing taped onto it that my sponsor in florida has taped on his or stuck to his mirror and says, mm-hmm. you, you are looking at the problem. Mm-hmm. And that's, uh, although it sounds pretty negative, it's, it's really just a reminder that, that, um, that I am responsible. You're responsible. I'm responsible. Yeah. It's not something outside. It's you that you can deal with. Yeah, certainly not. Yeah. There's, there's, there's no, there's no, uh, supernatural mystical power that's going right. to remove my, my 26 character defects <laughs> that I came up with yeah. in rehab. Uh, the, yeah, you cannot wish, uh, or, uh, sorry, you cannot pray those away. Mm-hmm. Um, so again, it, it, it all, it all goes back to his, um, uh, logical, reasonable, mm-hmm. simple steps. These, these basic approaches to restoring a, a sane, healthy lifestyle. Mm-hmm. It's, it's really simple and it's all in here and I love it. And, uh, he actually put in the book, some examples of unhealthy character traits, uh, you know, dishonesty, entitlement, entitlement, arrogance, uh, manipulation. You know, uh, his jealousy and self pity. I think those are more sort of emotions. But in the the, mm-hmm. the uh, uh, judgment, aggression, apathy, insecurity, greed, vanity, and who among us is not going to identify with some of these, if yeah. not all of them? You yeah. know, uh, on some level. Yeah. Um, and then uh, he does mention here, as you said, he says, "Don't worry about having a perfect list. You'll probably." add on to it later. Yeah. So, so that, that I like that because it sort of removes the pressure, especially uh, like once again, if a sponsor is like right out of rehab, this is all so new, you know, just write what you can. Mm-hmm. You can, you can work on it tomorrow. Yeah. And uh, you can keep adding to it. It doesn't, it, it doesn't have to be a stressful kind of like when you said, when you, when you get to a point of shame, stop, mm-hmm. set it, set it down, mm-hmm. walk away from it. Um, you can, you can work on these lists over time. Um, and there's really no reason why you couldn't 
keep working these things for the rest yeah. of your life. Kind of like with the maintenance steps yeah. at the end. It's just a, continu- a continuous process of essentially being a decent person. And when he goes into steps eight and nine, um, he does talk about um, direct amends and living amends, which I think are important. Mm-hmm. And he does talk about how sometimes you should not make an amend. You know, if you've committed violence against somebody, if you've done some really serious emotional damage against somebody, sometimes the best thing to do is to um, not approach that person. Absolutely. I, I, when it comes to, yeah, when it comes to amends, I'm a, I'm a major proponent of just the living amends. Yeah. more so I, think, I think that there's an awful lot of damage that can be done when you dig up the past with certain people. I think a lot of people are over things. Yeah. Or not even thinking about it. Yeah. You're thinking about it. Yeah. Okay? You're thinking that they're not. Yeah. But then you go and you put it in their head. Yeah. All of a sudden it brings it back. Right. And, and what good does that do? It doesn't. I had the, that's what I dealt with with my father. Mm -hmm. He would hate for me to regurgitate crap from the past. Mm -hmm. He, you know, that was not, that was not helpful for him. What else was at all. The best way I could make amends with him was really just to change my behaviors and just to be a decent person. Right. Right. And when people see you doing that, uh, yeah, they, they, you, their trust in you and so forth is slowly restored. Yeah, it takes time. But he he had one thing here that I I, I hate to say I did sort of disagree with. He mm-hmm. said when, when making amends, if they have specific requests of you, such as paying back money or providing a service to make things right, you don't have to answer on the spot. You can tell them that you'll get back to them mm-hmm. later with an answer. Mm-hmm. And I thought, what the fuck? <laughs> if I'm taking this person's time right. to say I'm sorry. And they say, you need to pay me back the $600 you stole. I'm not going to tell them, let me think about it. I'll get True. back to yeah. you later. I need to be prepared. You going should be into, prepared you to should, do it. Yeah you, yeah. you absolutely should not tell them that you, you will get back to them later. Right. My God, if you are going into... <laughs> That's right. You should be ready. You, you should, should be ready. Yeah. You should be ready. To, you shouldn't even be talking to them if you're not ready. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, uh, you know, just... Hey, I'll, 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 let me. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll get back to you on that. You know, and the person's gonna go, "What the fuck?" See, same old, same old Wes yeah. walking off without committing to pay back the six hundred dollars. Same yeah. old, same old asshole. Yeah. Um, so you should go into every amends prepared, fully prepared to give back or say whatever you need to say, and you need to be prepared that you might get pushed back. The person might depending on your situation. Luckily, I've never had to go through this, but I've heard of it. People being very angry and saying, you know, get the hell out of here. I don't ever want to see you again. I've I've heard of those situations, so you have to be prepared for those. Um, I would like to think that if there's any situation like that, I would know. Yeah. Uh, I would sort of intuitively know, I don't think I should be digging up the past with this person. I don't think it's going to help either one of us. So when it comes to amends, again, I'm a big proponent of just go out and live a decent life. Yeah. And you know, we had a meeting about about um, amends at We Agnostics not too long ago, and I remember I said something in the meeting that that um, if you have a doubt about making it, just don't make it or whatever. And some people had had a problem with that, but again, I think what the difference was is that some of the older people who'd been drinking for thirty, forty, fifty years or whatever they might have done a lot of damage and they might have had more amends to possibly make. I stopped drinking when I was 25. I didn't really have that many direct amends to make. I really didn't do that much damage to other people. Right, and some of us, like me, I was a, I was a 
in total isolation. Yeah, I was too. It's like I, I have friends, I have alcoholic friends who would do wild, dumb, mean things yeah. at bars and in public and yeah. make asses of themselves. Yeah. But I was so scared that I would make an ass of myself that I just hid at home and just yeah. got fucked up alone. Yeah. So I certainly did harm to like my family and those those close to me. Um, but I didn't have the widespread wreckage that some alcoholics yeah. have, particularly if they've been um, uh, creating this just wake of damage for 30 years. Yeah. They probably don't even remember all the bad stuff they've yeah. done. Yeah. So it's you need to be really selective uh, because, again, yeah, you're thinking about it, but the other person, right. is, they're probably way past it. Right. They're living their own life. They're past this shit. You bring it up, you're just you're just you're just bringing them back to a bad place. Although um, for them to hear an apology, I mean that's that's you know it's a humble act, and, it, and there so there is value in that. I did make amends to 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 a couple I know who I did make an ass of myself in front of, and they're actually in the AA, mm -hmm. so they were totally receptive to it, and they said stop by anytime. Yeah. They said you know we appreciate it, and we're so happy you're in AA too. Yeah. Well, then just the last three steps are pretty much like, you know, the maintenance steps, 10, 11, and 12. Um, the one, th I, I didn't, and I don't think there was anything in 10. I mean, he did it again, say you could do this either formally by writing it out, or it could just be more of a, you know, just being aware of what, of what you're doing and who you're harming type thing. But um, his step 11 was strictly meditation. It was nothing but I, meditation. I, yeah, I noticed that. So yeah. that was kind of interesting because I'm not a big meditator. I do see some value in it. I guess when I when I thought about step 11, when I was looking at the steps on my own, I was thinking more about what am I trying to achieve, whether it be through meditation or any other means. And I kind of looked at it as serenity is what I'm trying to achieve. So for me, it could be anything, including meditation, that brings me to whatever I want. But he just strictly looked at meditation. Yeah, I thought that, I th yeah, that, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I was not a huge fan of that he says here if you've never meditated before this may all sound like airy fairy nonsense and that's okay give it a try and you'll get to experience it yourself mm -hmm. and after that i wrote on the page how <laughs> you know um and and i know that meditation is it comes in a lot of different forms and there are a lot of ways that different people do it but i i find myself uh sort of when i'm daydreaming when i'm reading when i'm painting there are all sorts of uh periods of time in my day where I'm in almost a meditative state mm -hmm. and, and, and meditation, I suppose when you're sort of lost in deep thoughts, I know some would say it's sort of the absence of thought is meditating, but, um, meditation is such a, it, it's such a wide net, um, as far as how it's applied and how you do it. And everyone does it sort of in their own way. There are all sorts of great resources online. Yeah. If you, yeah. you want to uh, guided meditations, yeah. I highly recommend because the guided meditation will literally say, okay, close your eyes, monitor your breathing, feel everything from your head to your toes. Okay. You're in a forest. Okay. Now you're walking down a path. Mm -hmm. now you see a river to your right. Can you hear the river? You know, the, so the guided meditation, that's a great way to get into, mm -hmm. to, to kind of figure out what meditation is about mm -hmm. um, are the guided ones. Yeah. For, for those of us who don't know what yeah. meditation really yeah. means. 
So basically, he's just describing these things as 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 the, as what or you do, and then in step twelve, you just help others. You go, and he talks about going to meetings and helping people, or acting as a sponsor to help people. You know, um, as far as I'm concerned, it doesn't even have to be within AA. You could help people. You know, just just be a citizen. You know, Absolutely. do something. You know, politically or whatever you want to do in your community to help would be a good way of giving back. But um, and he talked about, and I agree with him that you do it for a number of reasons. But you know, one reason you do it is because by especially if you're going to sponsor somebody and help them with the steps when you do that by showing someone else you it it reinforces it for yourself you learn for yourself absolutely and that that's something that i discovered through um, teaching Mm -hmm. these college classes is i learned well i mean you have to know the material yeah so i i learn i if you if you if if you want to learn something teach it like yeah, get, get pre- I've get, told that. I've been get told prepared that. to teach it because you yeah. have to know everything. Because the the questions that come at you, you don't know yeah. where they're going to come from, and you you have to have all your bases covered. So yeah, um, yeah. I had a teacher who, ta- who told me that once. He says he's learned more from teaching than he did as a student. Oh, absolutely, absolutely, <laughs> absolutely. I totally, yeah. uh, totally agree with that. Um, I, I highlighted this portion here under working step twelve. He said. Uh, at the first meeting I attended, one of the greeters was an exceptionally friendly and calming person to be around. He immediately helped me feel at ease. Uh, were it not for him, it's entirely possible I would have shied away from meetings and either delayed my sobriety or not gotten sober at all. I had the same experience mm. uh, with uh, Greg H. Mm. Um, the first meeting I came to, uh, he was so warm and inviting and so i try and emulate that whenever we have new people to the Mm -hmm. group Mm -hmm. if i'm leading or i suppose even if i'm not leading just trying to be as 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 warm as possible Um, because a lot of people will show up to a meeting and and they'll they'll make a judgment on that meeting just based on the tone of the room right and how comfortable they feel there and if they feel if they feel that sort of we'll love you until you love yourself sort of thing it's really helpful, and that can, and that's it's serious shit because this is, is life or death for some people. It's funny, but in AA, people really that first impression means everything. Absolutely, that first if they don't like that yep. first meeting, they'll never come back. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. It's that that first impression is everything, and uh, and boy, the the groups, the four or five groups in Kansas City that I attend variously, there are very different. Mm. tenors to those mm-hmm. rooms mm-hmm. and very different levels of welcoming. Yeah. 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 AA, your experience in AA is really dependent upon what meeting you happen to go to on any particular day. Cause it's just, it can vary from one group to the next. And even within a single group, it can vary, you know, but anyway, I don't know. Is there anything else you want to talk about from that book that we should cover? I tell you what, I'm going to read a little bit on the, on the, just on the very back of the book. Okay. And I, I found this really valuable because this, this is a wonderful, concise summary of the book that, that would have certainly made me buy this book as, as an atheist. Staying sober without God is a guide to, and sort of a plug for the book too, okay. Staying sober without God is a guide to lasting, genuine recovery from alcoholism, drug addiction, and compulsive behaviors. 12-step programs have helped millions of people, but while our knowledge of addiction has evolved, the programs themselves have not. So that's referring back to the stuff that's still stuck in 1939. Today we have a more thorough understanding of how to bring about lasting recovery without the need to believe in God or a supernatural being. 
This book is intended to give atheists, agnostics, and non-believers a guide to recovery that is grounded in rational thought and practical action. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. It, that, that's, that's exactly what the book is about, and uh, rational thought and practical action. Yeah. That's what we implement, right? Yep. That's what it's about, as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. And well, it, and, and, it, and it is, like you said, it's what... As as atheists, when 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 we approach six and seven, we do we do yeah. we do it. Yeah, it better. truly is practical, and, right. and we do the work. So because we're we're not just asking for uh, some uh, fairy to uh, yeah. to take our problems away. Well, Wes, thank you very much once again. You I appreciate it, it. It's been fun talking to you. It's been fun talking to you. Thanks, 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 John. Thank you for listening to AA Beyond Belief. Staying Sober Without God, The Practical 12 Steps to Long-Term Recovery from Alcoholism and Addiction by Jeffrey Munn is available at Amazon in both paperback and Kindle versions. Please visit aaagnostica.org to read the latest review of the book. And once again, thank you so much for all your support here at AA Beyond Belief. We appreciate it.